Welcome to episode 11 of Coffee with the Johns. I'm doing this little intro separately because we had some technical difficulties when we went live with the audio. This episode is centered around how the Biden administration, if he gets elected or if he's already elected, depending on when you listen to this, how it would affect real estate and the market. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. We had a lot of great conversation and stick around to the end as we actually shared some tips on things that we've been dealing with wholesalers in the market, asking not necessarily too much for the houses, but severely underbidding the repairs and being way off with what they're contracting these houses for. We give some good tips and things that we've kind of gone through. So I hope you guys enjoy it and let's get into the show. This is going to be an amazing episode. This is going to be that episode that you just do not want to miss because, I mean, if you guys have been wondering, what is a Biden presidency going to look like for the real estate market? That is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. It ain't over yet. What? It ain't over yet. What's not over? It ain't me about Biden presidency. Nobody's clarified. Well, I'm not. He's going to sue. I didn't say. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I'm just saying what would a Biden presidency mean for the real estate market? So uh, for those of you that are watching, I will greatly appreciate it if you guys share this link on your platforms and everything. That way we let the people know where we um, where the new link is. Because we did have like 20 plus people join before and now there's only three of us. And I think, you know, two of the three are probably in the room. So <laughs> so uh, if you guys could just go ahead and share this, uh, that, that would help out a lot. Get the, um, let everybody know where the new link is and where we are. Uh, even if you can drop this new link under the last uh, YouTube chat, Kim, maybe you can do that on our Facebook and everything and let people know. And, um, oh, and Kim sent out an email with this updated link for people to know. So, with that being said, let's resume our schedule. What? No, what do you say that? Our our scheduled programming? No? Our scheduled program? I don't know. Scheduled? I don't watch a lot of TV. Sometimes I forget what they say. But we got a lot going on today. Um... As many of you may or may not know, there's a presidential election going on. And it is a roller coaster, much like we anticipated. I mean, we did anticipate this being a roller coaster. We unless we thought unless Trump really like just took over everything and just went ahead and just pretty much had a whole, you know, the whole country show up in support, it was gonna be a challenge. And that's what it's been, right? It's been a challenge. Right now, uh, Biden is pretty much leading in the majority of the polls. Uh, they're, they're really trying to get to the last vote counted because for whatever reason, it seems like that last vote is going to make a difference. Um, hopefully, you know, this election doesn't get too crazy. Uh, you know, there, there's just so many things going on with this. There's so much talk of corruption. I mean, what, what do you think of the whole corruption angle and all that that's going on? Uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Wake up. I'm posting the new link on Facebook. Give me a second. You're like, oh, based on social media. So, sorry. Um, the corruption aspect of it, it, it's no surprise. I mean, from both sides, because it is a neck and neck race uh, from 
I mean, from but the very beginning. Do you beginning, think there is corruption? I, I, and and not not to get conspiratorial, but, but like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at all the stuff, what they're saying is corruption and everything. And one thing that I am hearing consistently is that they're getting in cities more votes than there are registered voters, right? But when you're looking at the overall of the Electoral College and you're looking at the overall of all the votes, like, I don't think even that corruption is really making a dent in this election. I mean, in the, I the, don't know. the, the close ones, the ones that actually matter that are coming down to, those are the ones they're talking about. The ones that like, like, what is it? Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Nevada are the four left. Biden needs just one of those and he's got it. But Trump was leading in three of those. And then just like Michigan and Wisconsin, Wisconsin right now, they're saying it's a $20,000 vote, $20,000, 20,000 vote separation between Biden and Trump to where all of a sudden, like he was met, had like 500,000 person of vote lead going in Tuesday night. Then coming out of that, he winds up losing 650 by 150,000 mm -hmm. to where it's like, I get mail-in ballots take longer to count and stuff like that. All the voter laws, regulations. I think it's just a lot of irregularities that are going on. Um, I don't think you can create 150,000 vote skew by certain like fraudulent or miscalculations and things like that but right now i saw he pulled ahead in uh georgia by like 900 who well, is he biden he yeah. pulled ahead of trump right, by like right. 900 votes and it's one of those like okay now 900 votes across i think georgia has like four or five million votes like that's a very small percentage to be able to get a tweak a little extra drop a few extra ballots count a few extra miscalculate things that where a recount can move 900 votes one way or the other oh, I, I completely so, agree so a, a recount, you're kind of bringing up what happened between Gore and Bush, mm -hmm. uh, that that whole fiasco that happened then, and they needed the recount going on. Um, I I honestly, like I said, I really do hope um, uh, that we that it doesn't go to that, you know, that it doesn't get that crazy and that bad because it, it's just I think all those things are just so bad for the country. Oh, I agree. Right. And that's one thing. I was reading a, a, a article written by Tucker Carlson with Fox News about he's saying that it's come to the point where medias think they can dictate the elections, where they come out ahead, just like you made the point, like Arizona. Like they called it so fast. It's like, boom, I don't know who he's got. It. They're so confident, but like he has been gaining ground in those and he might be right. They might be wrong. Who knows? Uh, but to where the media doesn't have or has the power to influence these elections anymore to where by, they just make these calls and stop reporting on it and people stop caring because they said that back in 2000 is like, my God, like the extent that they went into to show that they were that there's the system actually worked and it was coming down it was going to be close that uh the news coverage they had people they went in there they were hanging the ballots they showed people counting the ballots they showed like the process is going through yeah. but everything's been the kind of this like dark cloud to where i'll come out in pennsylvania where they didn't have to be supervised to count votes to where like it's just like seriously so anybody behind closed doors can count the ballots and so that to me, it's like, oh, right. But he said like in 2000, I mean, I was only 11 years old. I don't know. This is what I just read. Yeah. Um, but they said they had bipartisan people in there watching every vote be recounted. The whole thing tallied up and gone through again. But there's a lot of this between so many different states. But this whole coronavirus, and the mail-in ballot is just thrown this whole system for a whole new loop to where I think it was, they said in Pennsylvania in 2016, uh, they only had like just over a quarter million mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. Now they're like two and a half million mail-in ballots. So it's just heavily uh, what, bogging what, down the system. What I'm 
honestly shocked by is we're in 2020. How is this shit not figured out yet about voting? I mean, how with, with all the technology, with all the things that's going on, um, how is this not figured out yet? You know, and you're saying, I don't think they want it all. They don't want it figured out. Does that mean what you're saying is they want to have the opportunity to corrupt if they need to, why don't no, they want I, to figure I, it out? Not so the system doesn't, uh, or maybe not want to figure it out. I think the system won't let them figure it out because no matter what, somebody wants to complain of why they lost. It's not, it, there's voter fraud. Uh, Russia implemented or influenced the 2016 election. Oh, their absentee ballots are influencing this one. It's it's always a side that's losing that creates a fuss that there was some kind of fraudulent thing to where like the system could be perfect the way it is now, but the side that loses or calls a tight race isn't going to let it be well, I, I saw that way. a meme this morning that I thought was kind of funny where uh, last election, right? There was upheaval about the corruption, the manipulation, all these things. It was unacceptable. And the meme says, what about now? Is Where's all this uproar on the corruption and manipulation? So there was corruption, manipulation in the last election, but not this one. Um, and that's the thing like, Again, I don't want to sound cynical or anything, but it's one of those things that I worry about where if that's the case, do your votes really matter then, right? Does does your vote really count when it only counts if it's going towards the person or the agenda that we're pushing forward? Like, that's kind of scary to think, Yeah, you know, that that's the case, that it's not... No, your vote counts. And if the public speaks and the public wants Biden, let's say, then that's what it is. If they want Trump, then that's what it is. Right. But is it more that the power and I've always heard this, uh, this saying, I don't know who who said it originally, but they said um, if your votes really mattered, it would be illegal to vote. And I'm like, that's that's a very scary quote in a very yeah. scary premise to think about in, in, in America. Right. I, I understand even where I'm from in Argentina or other countries, that's how they run. But here, I'm like, ouch, you know, like, and if the American public, I think, agrees to that, we're going to see a huge issue, you know, as far as uprisings yeah. and everything, because Americans, they like to be heard. We, you know, that's the whole foundation of the country. So I don't know. I mean, Tommy Ray puts in here, if your vote is a gun in your hand, it will always count. Like, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's true. But all is, right, we're, we're not uh, uh, condoning violence. So <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, the thoughts of uh, people watching is not the views of Prime Homes. <laughs> yeah. Political disclaimer. But it, but uh, well, you to know. your point that you're you're getting at, it's uh, it. It is a scary election, but it does show that the importance of getting out and voting and I think the transparency of showing like how these things are. I think it should be because when they I was reading it, the founding fathers, they wanted to leave it up the states of how because you're not voting for the president. You're voting for how you want your state to allocate your electoral votes is what you're going towards. So it's up to the states how they determine to award those electoral votes, just like Nebraska and Maine don't do the whole, uh, all the electoral votes to a one candidate, they split them up. So they leave it up to the states. But then when you have this- I, uh, I'm sorry, explain that. You're not voting for, you're voting for the president, yes. But really what you're voting for is how you want your state to award its electoral votes because it's the electoral college, not by the popular and vote. And those states split it? 
Maine and Nebraska. They don't award all of their electoral votes towards one candidate. So right now, Nebraska is where three, two go to Trump, one's going to Biden. Maine is the same thing. Two electoral votes are going to Biden, one's going to Trump. Why? Uh, just that's just how they split up their electoral votes. I mean, they can go it however they they can control their own way to award their electoral votes. So let, let's kind of uh, now that you bring that that topic up, let, let's talk about electoral votes, right? Because we've spoken to uh, good friends of ours, and we hear it a lot where they're trying to get rid of. Well, they don't the believe in the uh, electoral votes electoral and they, college, and, and they want the popular vote. So. I believe that you have a much nicer way of explaining this than I do. I think I uh, offend a lot of people the way I explain things. But you like, offend a lot of people the, when you speak, when you just speak. Yes, we're going to have disclaimers moving forward of when you listen to anything where I'm in it. Um, but explain the Electoral College, the votes, and why it still makes more sense than popular vote. Okay, so uh, I was having a conversation with a friend after the 2016 election and he was on the, uh, he was center left um, and he believed, he's like, well, why do we not go towards popular vote? And I explained to him, I was like, well, and he also comes from a densely populated area on the uh, East Coast. I said, well, the problem is when you have such a dense population mm -hmm. that everyone kind of gets the same kind of mentality and they tend to vote that same way. So that's why you have Biden leading by like 3,000, 3 million votes uh, over Trump. The problem is then you essentially have the country run by the major cities and the coast because that's where the densely population is. What the Electoral College allows for is for the little guy in Central America or in a central United States and Midwest to actually have a voice. Because if you do it by the popular vote, then you only listen to the problems where the people have the density, where the votes are. So you listen to the coasts. But I use like, what what does anybody know? Like, we have different problems. The East Coast is going to have much different problems than Central America to where, like, what are they? Because they want greenhouse gas gone. I was like, well, if you eliminate uh, fossil fuels, how is a farmer in Kansas going to run that diesel tractor to right. plow those fields? So it would absolutely just decimate even further the central uh, portion of America, the small town America, um, and not allow them to have a voice. Because... It's they go by population. So politicians are going to go where the votes are. So they're going to listen to California in the East Coast where the population is because uh, no, no, not California in the East Coast. We got Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. They're blue as shit. So, I mean, they're major cities. Yeah, they're, growing. Yes. they're getting heavily populated. So. And I'm not saying blue in a in a. But but uh, even but even then you give Texas, uh, but Texas still the population went for. Went to for Trump no, versus Biden. The whole population. It, the Texas population went right, not left. Well, I'm yeah, saying, obviously the, for the popular it, vote. But right. I also said the electoral college, though, is like that's why your governors, your municipalities, like your in your states go by popular vote, right. and then whoever wins the popular vote within the state gets awarded the electoral college. So that gives these smaller states a voice. But yeah. now you have states, and this started in 2000. That up until 2000, everyone did it the same way of you popular vote gets the electoral college, electoral college uh, votes go to elect the president. But now I think there's like 15 states. Uh, Colorado was a recent one that decided that whichever way the national popular vote goes, the state will award its electoral college votes for. So basically, it means if Colorado were to overwhelm majority, say like 
they had 2 million votes. 1.5 million voted for, say, Republican and half a million for a Democrat, but Democrat nationally had more votes. That means Colorado would now award its electoral college, even though the state didn't want uh, a Republican president, but since they switched their election laws, now they're going to vote for whichever the popular vote goes. And this is coming out of after 2000, and then it even people up uproar again in 2016. And it's really, it's this political divide because it seems like, it, there are more Democrats in the nation, and the last several elections have proven that the popular vote has gone to that that candidate. So now they're wanting more and more people to uh, follow that mentality to get rid of the electoral system, to where they're saying, get rid of the electoral college. Well, nobody wants to get rid of the electoral college, but they're changing their voter laws of how they award those electoral votes. And, and, and I think, you know, so you made a lot of, obviously... Uh my opinion, right? Excellent uh, votes, uh, excellent points on voting, where you cannot represent the whole world on the opinions of a few people, right? The whole world of America, <laughs> but you cannot represent the whole country on the views of a few, a few people. And one of the or biggest the, or point, the majority in a densely populated areas, where and, that's where you would. But have here's them. here's the next point, right? Florida just passed that uh, that bill just passed uh, got voted for of raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour over the course of the next what five years I think until like 2025, 2026, yeah. it's going to increase they, they 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 raise it it's going to be raising a dollar right and they want to make that uh, by they I do mean the Democrats because they're the ones mostly pushing for it is they want to make this federal the issue with making it federal is that yes Florida can do it and i wait i think the way florida is doing it makes sense every you know they're going to raise it to eight and a quarter or something like that now and then it's going to be a dollar a year until it hits uh 15 so or they're going to raise it to ten dollars whatever do the math they're going to raise it to whatever it is and then going to do a dollar a year until it hits 15 dollars if they do this across the country as a federal law you're going to hurt the rural areas yeah that Can't are ran that. by moms and pop shops, right? Not by big corporations. And now you have these mom and pop shops that they cannot afford to pay, and nor should they be paying that much because in those areas, the the standard of living, the cost of living is substantially less. Mm-hmm. Where $8 goes a lot further than $8 in New York City. Where I don't think things like that need to be such a uh, an umbrella, such an, you know, everybody in the same boat. Because I think also maybe $15 an hour in Florida, it makes sense, but maybe in New York City, it doesn't, right? Maybe in New York City, the minimum wage should be like $20. I think every state in, in the way that the country was founded was still correct, where every state should have the right to govern itself, yeah. where it shouldn't be a federal law. National thing. Oh, I, the 100%. Because like you have your areas like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, that like these small communities, they cannot afford that kind of I mean but it comes from both sides and I fear the caveat to that is like well now you have people abusing that power that live in these big cities by underpaying their employees yeah so that's what they're trying to say is like well for the benefit of the the majority some of the minority might have to suffer on that so that's the kind of argument to it but it, it is going to kill rural small towns even more that is like I, I, mean, I grew up in a town of 1500 people if you put a 15 dollar minimum wage on that town yeah, you'll destroy it even more because now it's like the, the food costs will get astronomical and then there's not the industry behind it to 
uh, support and raise the wage amongst everybody, the living wage across one shot to bring that kind of stuff up. So, and that that's always kind of been my issue when um, people try to talk about social programs and and helping people out and all this. Like, I'm all for that, I, and and you are too. And I think the majority of us are for helping the people that need help. Mm-hmm. But what I'm not for, and what I think we need to stand against, is the generalization of laws and everything where it's like hey this is the this is an exception in this place but let's make that the law yeah. in the whole country and it's like well, well hold on does that make sense can we go into the rural areas can we go into the rest of the country and actually see if that makes sense and that's where damn i didn't want to get political but i, I will hit this point briefly oh is that cover your children's ears <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, take your children away from this. But I believe that Congress needs to be reevaluated in the Senate. We are not being represented correctly. You understand? And I believe that the people in power are not representing us. Yet we keep voting in a certain way, either left or right, and not voting how we should be voting locally to dictate how they represent us there. I mean, one of the things that blew my mind was uh, Washington, D.C.'s uh, percentage that went to oh, Biden. Oh, Lord. What yeah, was it, was 92 or 93 percent? I mean, talk about like, a president for the people there. But, you know, you have Washington, D.C., 92 percent goes for Biden, right? There's no bipartisanship there at all. So... You're in the rural areas, you're in other other states, and it's like you're not really being represented to how you think you are. Yeah. So then they're making all these rules, all these laws, and now you're the one paying the price for everything. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, not, not to kind of, again, not to get too political, but we go back to the whole point of this podcast, right? The whole point of Coffee with the Johns is to discuss how these policies how everything is affecting your business and these things affect your business because if you're a local business owner in a more rural city and they just force your minimum wage to $15 an hour you could essentially go out of business because now you're being forced to pay somebody that or you got to start getting creative and you start kind of getting subcontractors or you start paying people under the table. You, you got to start, in a sense, it, it breaking creates, it the creates, law. It creates almost like a black market, almost like yes. kind of prohibition style with liquor. It's just like, uh, well, I'm just not going to pay employees now. Or they automate more yeah. to where it's like, we're going to force, we want all these wages and McDonald's comes out and this is like, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. So we're just going to automate our entire uh, production line. So to where you only have like three people working in the whole store and it's really just to maintain to put burgers inside the machine that's cooking them. So that's that's what I think would happen is that you're just going to force more automation on to people because like you you try to create this litigious society you have to, you have to provide sick leave you have to provide paid leave you have to provide uh, maternity leave you have to get fifteen dollars an hour you have to this 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 that you have to part you policy. have to yeah. that eventually people are gonna be like well I can just hire a machine now you've made it to where 100%, it's more profitable 100%. to invest in technology to eliminate that ability. And that is where the capitalism side of it does work, where like just overall governance can't Real come in. Real capitalism, just like, not what we've been having. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you got to let people fail. Yes. Um, but 
I think that's what's going to happen. And like everyone just, I remember that, that argument, like, oh, McDonald's needs to be paying more. You cannot be working McDonald's and working, um, living on welfare. It's like McDonald's wasn't designed to be a career kind of move starting at a cash register. You can, not saying you can't, but you put $15 minimum wage for somebody that just pushes buttons on a kiosk. It's like, yeah, you're going to eliminate that by now I can walk into there and say, I want a Big Mac. And then a machine drink makes the Coke, it makes the burger, it flips it up, more consistency, and it appears there by a conveyor belt. Like That's what you're going to create. And it's still McDonald's, so it's going to taste the same. So, I mean, it's not like people are cooking a recipe up, everything. McDonald's has their supply lines so figured out that you can have a burger in California and you can have a burger in Paris and a McDonald's burger is gonna taste the same. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that's the thing that I always talk about when people are are trying to say, kind of going back to the whole point of this episode, is how is a Biden presidency gonna affect the market? How is it gonna affect real estate? Well. I, oh. If he, his next thing is to raise taxes. That's what Biden wants to do, right? He wants to raise taxes on the wealthy. That's fine. You want to raise taxes on the wealthy. Now, let's actually understand what that means, though. Because you're not raising taxes on the rich that you think you're raising taxes so on. You're not raising taxes on Jeff Bezos, George Soros, no, Warren no. Buffett, all those guys. Wow, George Soros. You throw that dirt bag in there. But anyway, I don't, I've, um, never, I've never met him. I don't know if he's he, dirtbag he, or not. He's yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> you have so you're raising the minimum. You're, you're raising the um, taxes on all the. Uh, uh, you think you're raising it on those people? You're not, because those people are contributing to the country what the tax code wants them to contribute: jobs, yep. housing, development, uh, development, everything, Research, right? R&D. Oil, whatever incentives are being given for the economy to grow is what they're doing, which is why they don't pay that much in taxes, right? Who are you gonna raise it to? Is the workers, employees that are making that kind of money. People that are in that level of debt because they went to school, they got the Mm -hmm. education, they did everything. Actors, athletes, um, all these people, they're the ones that are gonna get hit with these high taxes. And then what you're gonna do is you're just gonna hurt them even further because we are in a terrible economy right now. As much as they wanna prop up the Dow Jones, and as much as they want to prop up unemployment and all the nonsense they want to do, we're still in a very weak economy. This is not strong by any means. So if you increase taxes anytime soon, you're going to further hurt the people that are actually growing the economy because they're the ones spending. Everyone focuses on, uh, they only, like, people only vote every four years. Or they only come out and start voting like this when it's a presidential election. It's like, you got to understand how our entire system works. It's like every two years, the House of Representatives has to be reelected. There's senators that roll for six, that go for six year terms. Like those people are all part of it. We're like, Trump wants to, or they say, oh, Biden's going to raise taxes. He's going to pack the Supreme Court. He's going to filibuster. He's like, not without the Senate, he's not. And it's looking as a way, to, if things stay the way they are, unless there's a, just like everyone thinks Biden's got it and it's a it's a miracle if Trump pulls it out, it's the same thing, it's a miracle if they lose, the Republicans lose the Senate. You can't do all of that stuff without having the House, the Senate, and the President all agreeing. And yeah. if you got one with a different party, which I'm a fan of, is always having one part of the government being the opposite uh, of the other one, because now that forces a bipartisan uh, working relationship. 
So you can't just have them just run through like, hey, we're just going to vote party lines all the way across and we're going to get whatever we want through. Mm-hmm. But now it's saying, hey, you're not going to raise taxes because you're not going to get it through the Republican Senate. You can't just pump unlimited amounts of money into it because Republicans still have to get behind it. And they because since they hold the majority in the Senate. And, then, and that's also honestly like one of the things that does bother me as well is the fact that so now so the stock market has been kind of going up and they're going up because they're excited that we're going to have a gridlock government right we're gonna if again if okay nobody freak out if biden was to win and the republicans hold the senate nothing is going to go through that's not an achievement you understand that we we keep going back to the same thing this is the foundations of this is so broken that you cannot, you can't even do any change. You can't even do anything for the country because if you have a Democratic president and a Republican Senate, well, if this Democrat says one thing, the Republicans are going to say no because you said it. That's the only reason. Oh, but and, I- and if then if you don't do it our way and give in. Then we're not going to pass this. Or if we do it well, this then, way, and then, well, then you but then the problem it. is like if you do that for too long, you will eventually get voted out because you will see that you're not getting shit done, and new somebody new will come in and replace you over time. Yeah, and somebody new is let's say comes in and replaces Trump, right? The Senate stays a majority, and then what the hell changes? And then let's say the next election, right? Trump comes back in because <laughs> if he loses, I'm sure he's coming back in four years. But let's and at that point, he'll still probably be what Biden's age, yep. so he'll be just as sleepy as Biden is. And then he'll come in and he'll try to pass things. And then if the the Republicans lose the Senate, it'll be the same thing. It'll be gridlock again. So it's like. Why can't we just stop doing, you know, left and right and start doing, let's actually analyze what makes sense. And I, I saw an interview a while back with uh, Wolf Blitzer, Splitzer, Blitzer. Yeah, that, Wolf Blitzer. Well, Blitzer? I mean, Tammy, Tommy just put something in here that uh, I, I want to address too. The House and Senate can pass it without the president. I thought if they had a supermajority, it is doable. Am I wrong? Can't they bypass the president's veto? Yes, they can. With a supermajority vote to where you, if the House and the Senate... Uh, if they had say like but who runs the house well it was saying if they had a super majority and right now neither one of them have a super majority in the house or this or the senate what's a super majority uh, just, it's just six, a majority no, over like two-thirds two-thirds votes so like in the senate you have to have oh, like so 66 yeah, votes 66 so if the president does veto a bill the senate can come back and as long as they get a super majority vote they can overthrow a veto but as of right now no i don't know when it's happened or how long ago it was at any party had a supermajority in a uh in the national house and senate to where like you go look at california they have a supermajority in there to where like anything that they want to get passed they can get through and get passed because they have two-thirds of the house and the senate are of one democratic affiliate or one party affiliation right. so yeah and my point goes back to the same thing is it's still sad that things need to be rammed through or done that way where we can't come to an agreement of saying, hey, yeah. this is for the best uh, benefit of the public. And going back to what I was saying about the interview with Wolf is that he's CNN, I believe, or one of those news. MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, one of the more, you know, not left, Fox, not Fox. Right. <laughs> so you have Fox and then you have all the other ones. So the non Fox uh, news networks. And he is highly respected amongst a lot of reporters. And he had on Nancy Pelosi and 
she was it was a it's a funny interview i recommend everybody go check it out after this i'll probably drop the link uh of the interview below but it's a funny interview because she goes on very confident because it's their type of media right so you know softball questions and all this and he comes out and says you know what's going on with the stimulus and she's like well you know the 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 republicans and all this he's like okay right but president you know they they are gonna they would pass a 1.8 trillion dollar bill she's like yeah but that's not what he's like i get that's not what you want but 1.8 trillion when the country is hurting is still 1.8 trillion that is still money Mm -hmm. that is going to help a lot of people why not do it Oh, but, and she was getting pissed. Like you can tell that if she oh, can she's curse, getting frustrating. She yeah. could definitely reach across. That was the, like an eleven-minute interview too. Yeah, like, but she was she was heated, and he was really grilling her. Yeah, where I believe that that was actually some good reporting, on, in my opinion, on a media site that's considered more liberal than anything, right? But he did ask the right question where it's like, I understand it's not the 2.2 trillion that you want and it's not covering all the stuff that you want, but it's still 1.8 trillion to the American public. Yeah. Well, it's like it was the big sticking points where like it, a boosted unemployment was a big piece of that. Uh, getting checks to American people was a big portion of that where she or I mean, where it seemed like the big sticking points was on the government and municipality where they wanted to bail out a lot of uh, states and municipalities to where that was the portion. It's like, okay, state and municipalities, they can deal with that shit later. It's like, get it to the freaking people. And that's where the Republicans and the Democrats did have an agreement on, but it was just like these government levels that yeah. they didn't want to adjust to. And that's where a lot of the stuff is to where there's no telling if they wouldn't have passed that either or, or what's going to come of this because the Republicans, they've been, ver- several of them have been coming out and saying, like we are not in favor of spending another trillion dollars on this and now they're trying to come out with two trillion dollar packages again to where like it would be a very it would be a battle in uh in washington to get a lot of this stuff through and uh, mcconnell's come out and said as soon as the senate comes back from the recess that's gonna be the first thing they're gonna take up is the next stimulus package so before the next recess, which is probably like another week from that. Yeah, they only yeah. It's, like, you got, they got the Christmas ever, holidays with the amount of recess they take. I'm like Jesus. Do you guys ever do any actual work? Like holy crap, you take more vacations than anybody I know. Well, a lot of them were fighting for re-elections and stuff like that, so they had campaigns to run oh, and things like that. It's like I mean, and that the, goes into another you know can of worms of like term limits and shit. But whatever. Well, let, let's kind of move over, uh, move on a little bit. Um, again. Staying on topic, how is a Biden presidency going to affect the market? So as you can see in this article, um, with a Biden win, the FHFA doubles down on ending the government-sponsored enterprise conservatorship. Woo, we got it. Did you? Holy shit. Come on, come on. Uh, got the word right. That okay, was the, the little backstory there, what, what just happened there. So the last like two days we've been talking about this article and John <laughs> has been struggling with the word conservatorship for so long to where he's like, all right, every time I come up to that, just, just say it for me just to complete my sentence. Yeah. So did you, do, what, did you sit in front of the mirror last night and just go, conservatorship? No, no. You got well, this. even today we were talking about it and I still screwed it up. But yeah, it just flew out, man. You know, when you're on the More and more American every day. America. You can now speak american yeah freaking <laughs> words and there are many consonants and stuff but anyway reading uh, this article it was a very interesting and you have to go kind of like seven levels deep on the article and i'm gonna post uh the links of how the process works so you kind of fully understand it 
But the first of all, the biggest panic comes from the FHFA, where they're worried about Biden being elected because he. So Trump is the one that pushed to get the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie and Freddie, out of conservatorship. Yeah. Right? He's the one that wants them out. He's the one that wants them to operate individually, independently as a company, as they were before the 08 crash, mm -hmm. before the government took them in and gave them the billions of dollars to sustain the housing market. So that is what Trump is pushing for. They're saying that Biden has made it clear that he doesn't like that. He wants to keep Fannie and Freddie inside the government and keep them in there because he feels that with them there, it's going to give the support that the housing market is going to need in this bad time that we're facing. So you have those two schools of thought, right? And then you have another one that <laughs> I think is more prevalent to the, um, to the director of the FHFA is that they came out with the, the Supreme Court came out with a ruling that the president can essentially go in and fire and replace the director. They get, this ruling came out for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So you can also see this here. And it came out that they can fire the director and put in a new one. So the Consumer Financial Bureau, they have the same format that the FHFA has, right? So what he's scared about is that already says presidents that Biden can come in and if What's his name? Calab Calabria? Uh, yeah. Uh, Director yeah. Calabria doesn't do what Biden wants. He's going to get rid of him. Yep. Right. So he's scared because that's job security. So what he's doing is ramping up everything that he can to get, you know, Fannie and Freddie out of this situation, the, the conservatorship. So he's working really hard to get them out. And that's where that 0.5% fee came in. And there's a, a another article that we were reading here um somewhere so oh here it is so in this article they he talked about you know what the adverse market effects are if they're unwarranted for the refinance fee of mortgages and really because this takes place december 1st so if you're refinancing any properties or anything like that i mean pretty much now i think it's already being included we talked about it, it's already being included in a lot of loans so you're gonna pay that 0.5. They're try this is a money grab. This is literally exactly what it is. It's yeah. a money grab. Oh, yeah. They're trying to raise their reserves to meet that qualification so they can get out of conservatorship before Biden can get in there and cause any problems to them. The upside to all of this on their end is that Biden's not gonna do this right away because he is coming into the coronavirus. He is coming into a major crisis that I don't think he's going to have the time or the resources to put behind. No, and I mean, that. there's a lot of other bigger things going on that, uh, and that's kind of like the free market versus government. Government's full of checks and balances and moving extremely slow and takes forever to do things where the free market can move in a much more nimbler, quicker way. Uh, to where, yes, they're in the conservatorship currently, but they're not the focal point of what's going on like they were in 08. So right. this does give them the flexibility to be like, all right, we need to set these standards, we need to raise cash, and we need to get out of this thing. And I, I think they should. As I don't think the government should be stepping in and running these corporations like you've uh, read in the past. I think it was a was the Creature from Jekyll Island. They talked about several of the bailouts of like the, the railroads, the trail cars, yeah. Lockheed Martin, uh, the Excellent bailouts book. of... Uh, 
how these governments stepped in and like controlled companies. So I think getting out of conservatorship is a good thing for the overall market. But we go back to last week about uh, possible interest rates rising mm-hmm. to where if they leave government conservatorship and they get out of it, or is the free market going to want additional security via higher interest on these mortgages and things like that? Right. And that could drive up mortgage rates, even though the overall federal fund rate is still at zero. Yeah. So that is something to where it's like, hey, you're not backed by the government anymore. So it's not a federally backed loan. It's just backed by a private company now. So are they going to want additional yield for that additional risk? And, and they will. I mean, it, no investor wants to take additional risk and not get compensated accordingly. Mm-hmm. The only time they would perhaps do something like that is if they really don't have a better option, right? That literally the whole world is going to shit and like that's still the best option out there is a high risk investment at a low yield which hopefully that doesn't happen but if that's the case you know then that's the only way they're going to buy into it but if not they need to raise the interest rates in order to make it more attractive for uh, investors so i i do see where biden is coming from trying to keep fannie and freddie within the government because again they can further keep the crash from happening if a crash comes in the housing market because that is a huge gauge Mm -hmm. to the success of the country right it's the housing market and that is one thing that the you know the government is very scared of so which is why another part of the uh promise that biden has for uh, winning being uh, becoming president is he wants to invest 640 billion over the next 10 years so americans can have access to housing that is affordable stable, safe and healthy, accessible, energy efficient, and resilient. Wow. Um, That's a lot of... Yeah, he, he definitely has that plan locked down. Uh, my, I mean, my question is always like, <laughs> what the hell does any of this mean? Right? Like, how? How are you going to do that? Oh, $640 billion investment. What does that mean? What, what does that matter? A 400... You know what I mean? Like, when I was just looking at invitation homes uh this is another article that's very interesting they they're actually doing a joint venture with rock point group and they're investing a billion dollars to pick up single family residential right and that billion dollars they anticipate that they can pick up about 300 uh, 3500 more homes um using that kind of money so you're gonna do that with a billion dollars 3,200 homes. What What is he trying to do with $640 billion? Like, what's he trying to change? What policy is he trying to affect? Yeah, well, I'm, I don't I'm, know. I, I, well, I think it's a lot of uh, they, they, that housing is a right and it's not something you should have to work for, much like they think on health care. Uh, that it's like it should be all government-sponsored health care programs. But housing isn't – I mean, okay – A roof over your head, yes, it's a human right. You should have a roof over your head. But owning a home isn't a right. Yeah. I don't think it's a right. I think that's a privilege. You should be able to work your way to owning a home. That's why it was the American dream to own a home, right? Yeah. Not an American dream to be given a home. Yeah. You want to own a home. You want to be able to buy a home because you did enough in your life, in your career, in whatever you're doing, you made the money, you saved your money, you build your credit, whatever it is, and you bought yourself a home. Yeah. You earned a home, right? So 
I'm more worried about that that whole handout part of things. Well, the handout portion of it and coming down on these corporate landlords and individual investors and just people that like have saved, have been financially responsible and built themselves a portfolio of rental properties. They well, well, now uh, we're going to tax the hell out of you on that and force you to sell those things because now you are artificially keeping the entry level price point from being put back into the housing market to where people can afford an entry level home. Cause yeah. that, I mean, that's where all of our houses are entry level because that is where you can actually maintain some cash flow from the properties. Yeah. So that's where a lot of landlords do hold property invitation homes. These, how many do they hold? Like 80,000 homes. Uh, a lot of those were picked up in the wake of 2008, the foreclosure crisis. And where were a lot of those homes at? They were on the lower end. So to where they're saying, Oh, well, home ownership's dropping. You're not allowing these things to turn over into the market. So they might go to them and say, look, we're going to buy these pieces from you. We're going to force you kind of like eminent domain where you can take mm-hmm. land from people. The private the government can take land from a private citizen. Can the government take well, property from individuals, corporations, force them to put it on the market and then they own it and give it to other people. So, or to certain people that they believe uh, it's a right well, for them to have. So that kind of actually ties in very nicely with this next article that I was reading yesterday. Um, Governor, What's the governor of California? Gavin Newsom. Newsom signs in homes for homeowners, not corporation. Yep. All right. So he signs in this new bill that essentially what it does is that it gives people. So if you're get if your house is getting foreclosed on, it's not allowing the lenders to bundle up the foreclosures and sell them to a big corporation like they did in 2008, right? Yep. Like they did in 09 and all that. They were bundling them up, selling them to these massive companies, these big investment firms. Just uh, basically trying to offload their books. It's like, we have so many homes, we need to get rid of these things. We'll just bundle up all the notes and just big corporate buyers. Right, and, buy and which is what Invitation Homes and Rock Point are pretty much, they're going to be buyers of stuff like that. So what they were saying is, it, which I'm kind of on the edge of whether I agree or disagree with this, where they're like, you know, what we want to do is give homeowners the right of pretty much first refusal on that foreclosure, mm-hmm. right? Which means is that the foreclosures come up, you're not going to bundle them, you're going to sell them individually. So then a person that is looking for a home and maybe wants a discount or something like that can go and bid on it and not have to worry about being bid off, uh, bid out by a large corporation that we all know, go to the foreclosure, uh, foreclosure auctions and overpay because they don't care. It's just numbers yeah. on their books, right? Well, they're there. Well, I don't know how California runs the real estate market, but here it's like, I don't see very many individual homeowners walking to a foreclosure, uh, a courthouse step with a FHA approved loan ready to go saying, I want to buy that you, house. Like, you got to have cash. I mean, well, that's what we're saying. Like, yeah. I, I think it kind of falls on deaf ears. Like, well, I, I think they're they're going to come up with ways to actually get this figured out. So obviously pass this bill. Yeah. And now the free market. I mean, same thing with the uh, short sales to where now when gov- when banks realized they were losing so much money of individuals wholesaling short sales, yeah. they're like, nope, needs to go on the open market now. So I think it's going to be something similar to where they're going to they, – banks and whoever holds these notes, it's like, you can't just go to the the courthouse steps and bid cash. Like you need to go through a more formalized process to give the free market the ability or individuals the ability to actually buy these houses with loans that actually do qualify. Because some of these, like 
They're perfectly good houses. There's absolutely oh. nothing wrong with them. And then big banks come in here, big investment groups, and they get them for 60 cents on the dollar and literally need no work to them, put a tenant in it, and they're done. So that a house like that, I think it should have the opportunity to go to an individual that can build. And I do agree with that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But then and the homes that are destroyed, that can't qualify for financing, that need to be picked up by an investor via cash, those will still be available because there's still the FHA guidelines that you're not going to lend on a house that leans six inches to one side. And and as we've seen, the issue comes when you're buying a distressed home. If you're a homeowner or let's say a, a small time investor and you don't understand much about real estate, which we know a lot of landlords that don't understand much about real estate, you buy a home that's distressed. A lot of the times what you end up doing is doing the bare minimum just to get it rented. Right. So now you're making the matter worse because you're not fixing major issues that the house needs to get fixed. Mm -hmm. You're not solving the problem that that house has. And then you're renting it out, putting somebody else in there. This tenant is going to have a ton of problems as they live in the house. It's going to further deteriorate the house. It's going to make that homeowner, that landlord lose more money in the investment because then when they end up having a force to sell or something, they're going to sell at a loss. Um, So it is. I think a very tricky situation where you are forcing people to kind of get into it where if we face that level of foreclosure, my question is who's going to be able to afford those houses anyway? Like I get they're selling at a discount, let's say, but who's going to buy them? Yeah. Right. If interest rates go up next year, who's going to afford them? If jobs, if unemployment continues to rise, like let's say, you know, Biden gets elected and he and he goes with this whole the COVID and everything and shuts down the economy again. It's going to further tank more businesses, right? And you can give the bailouts that you want. And I understand you're going to give bailouts, but those bailouts are not affecting and, and they don't go to the people that are generating what two fifty three hundred thousand dollars a year. And you're like, well, they got a shit ton of money. Most of these people still live just yeah, like somebody yeah. that makes 50. It's still they paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck to paycheck. They owe everything. They have everything, you know, so it's like. You, they're still going to be affected. Business owners are going to get those checks and they're not going to pass it off to their employees like they did last time because they're scared. And now with what happened last time, it sets a precedence of saying, you know, well, shit, now I definitely don't want to spend this money because what if they do the same thing and they cut stimulus again? Now yeah. what do I do? Now it becomes, a, it's like I'm looking out for one, not a company and you at have that to. point. Everybody does. Yeah. I mean, this is not something of business owners or anything, but everybody looks out for number one. And we've seen this even with our friends that say they're conservative. Man, they would jump up for joy if they get a stimulus check, you know? And it's like, well, why aren't you being entrepreneurial about your life, you know, and and doing something? But yet you will be so happy with a government handout because at the end of the day, you look out for number one. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying like, well, it's that's saying, like it it's, you really have no direct say in the matter. So like a check comes a nail with your name on it. It's like, well, I'm going to take it. It's not like I'm not going to. I mean, that now it just becomes an illogical decision that it's like, you know what? I don't agree with this. So I'm just not even going to accept this check. Like, well, it's going to go to somebody no matter what. So it's got your name on it already that yeah. that's why you vote for the people that vote for well, these. What I'm saying is that if you keep trying to put all these barriers on corporations and, and big investors and all this, then who's going to snatch up these properties? Who's going to get these properties that are distressed, maybe vacant, you know, left alone? Who's going to fix investors, them? People like us. Yeah, but they're making all these regulations. Like, at some point, we're going to get affected as well. Yeah. You understand? Well, like, you're going to have to, they're probably going to say, no, the first dibs goes to somebody that's going to buy it to live in it. Yeah. You understand? So now we got to wait for that period to go over. 
You understand? Like, I think, you know, it becomes a little tricky based on the economy. I think that they, I, we go back to the same thing of blanketing, you know, coming out with a law that encompasses all. You know, obviously, I, I read the article. I don't know uh, if that was the full law or if there's more to it. Another part of the law is that they're authorizing higher fees of $2,000 a day that the go local government can levy on a corporation or other property owners, so not just corporations, that leave homes vacant or blighted. deteriorate. Yeah, I yeah. saw that where it's like, so now they can't sell it to somebody who's got the cash willing to go to get rid of this thing. But now you're saying, but you also now need to maintain it for the next person that comes along for an extended period of time. I don't, I think, what is it, 45 days? Yeah. That they can't sell it? I mean, luckily, houses usually don't fall apart in 45 days. But, no, but it's like they were houses, falling apart a house already. that is destroyed, that it's like, yep. you seriously, I took it over in this condition that it's already basically dilapidated, run down, trashed, and I can't sell it for 45 days. Now you're telling me I have to go in there and fix this thing up and get ready to go. Because, I mean, that's the scary thought of what it is like, oh, now the corporation that lent the money on it needs to fix it up and put it to ready, make it rent ready or make it uh, livable for the next homeowner to come buy it. As like, now it's like, wait, 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 wait. So I lent the money to the person. They were irresponsible and trashed the house. And now I got it back. Didn't pay me my money. I took it back. Now I got to go in further to fix this house up to sell it to the next homeowner. Yeah. It's like, now that's that's a big stretch. And I can see the argument. It's like, well, then you should have better done a better job of due diligence of lending the money to that person. It's like, come on now. Okay. Uh, like, you're getting way yeah. out there. Well, like, and, I want a unicorn and another point, too. Going back to the, the American dream of home ownership is that they state that, you know, being having a home is most people's investment, right? Let's clarify. Your home is not an investment. Because it's just simply not. When people tell me, why don't you own a home? Because that's not an investment. That's literally a money pit. Like, when does it become an investment? When, when there's been it. enough appreciation. Yeah, it's like it's an investment when you sell it. You've enough equity. And it's in a condition that you can capture all that equity when you sell the property. Yeah. Now it's an investment. But until that point happens, it is not an investment. So they're saying how they were stating California between 2006 and 2012, the number of owner occupied homes nosedive by more than 320,000, right? While numbers of renter occupied single family homes soared by more than 720,000. I don't think that's an issue of corporations buying houses. I think that's more an issue of people not wanting to be tied down to a 30 year mortgage that if they move their job or they change their life in three years, they're losing money I don't if think, it hasn't I, appreciated. I, I disagree with you at 100%. I don't think it, people got affected. Like, I mean, short term, yes, the people got foreclosure, but still owning their own home. The people see it as like, I don't know how many just people that aren't in real estate, like that yeah. think you and I is like, I agree with you personally, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. don't think the average person is anywhere near that because they see, uh, I was just speaking to a friend a couple weeks ago. He's like, he lives in Colorado. Uh, and oh, there he, you go. Well, um, <laughs> but he's like, he pays $2,500 a month. He's like, well, I just, I, if I'm going to spend $2,500 in rent, I'd rather spend $2,500 on a house because then I can see that money back. That's how they think. It's not the flexibility. It's not the job security because, I mean, he works in the construction industry. It's like his job moves. Right. But he would still rather be tied down to a house because he sees it as I'm not throwing away twenty five hundred dollars. 
Not that he has the flexibility, the liability of the yeah. house, and they don't think any of that stuff, the repairs, the maintenance. Because I think the data is the data. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that you have more people that are wanting to rent, wanting to move and upgrade or change as frequently as even millennials, as they want to do it, uh, owning a house is the last thing you want to be tied down to. They don't want to be tied down to anything. I mean, you look at it across technology, you look at it across anything, anything that has a lockdown of even a year or two scares most people. They're like, ah, I want to have the, I'd rather pay I'm, more and have the option to cancel on a monthly basis. I have basis never I to. talked to a single person. <laughs> even relationships. I've never talked to a, a hard, any individual that agrees with that as far it as like housing matter. goes. I look, look at the stats. I, I'm oh, not I'm, saying well, talking to individuals. Stats, but then talking to your, actual people. Your individual reach may not be anything, you know, it's your circle, right? Yeah. But, you look at where the market is going, what it's been, even the, before COVID, there were more people looking for rentals than people were looking for houses. Houses were still selling. Obviously, I'm not saying houses don't sell. Well, a lot of them but, can't afford it. And then more people, the, uh, more than ever before, investors own more houses than ever before, right? There, most of the houses being sold are being sold to more investors than homeowners. And homeowners are choosing to rent more than anything. What is it? Investors are... Houses are being sold to investors more than homeowners? Than ever before. Not in relation to like, you know what I mean? Not more investors are buying than more homeowners, but more investors are buying than ever before. Oh, yeah, because they're buying for appreciation, not for sound investment and cash flow. Well, they're still investment properties and they're renting them out. Uh, if it, and they're I, I all don't rented out. I don't really know if I can. If it's a negative cash flow, I don't consider it an investment in my mind because it's the same thing as being a homeowner. Well, uh, who it's says not, it's negative cash flow, though? I'm saying if it is negative oh, cash flow, like okay. you're saying, oh, but I get a hundred bucks extra a month. Like that's negative cash flow. Like, cause yes, you make a hundred dollars, but that doesn't take into account for any kind of maintenance, repairs, vacancies, anything like that. It's not a self-sustaining investment anymore. Uh, yeah. in my opinion on that. No, so, uh, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all our opinions. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of what California is doing. And it's kind of pick, uh, picking up on the same thing that we were talking about Biden. You know, it's trying to figure out what does housing look like for everybody? How do you get people into housing? And it seems like it's more of a trying to force people into housing. Yeah. You understand where I'd rather just leave it more of like, let's the market buy houses as they want to buy houses. Now, do you want to limit the amount of corporations that just snatch up all these houses and take the opportunity? I completely agree. I think that's a smart way of doing it to give regular people, individuals, a well, fighting it's, it's chance. Ar it's artificially influencing the market when you get that kind of buying power to where you're limiting the supply. And now, you, like right now, there's no supply and there's a massive demand for housing. And that's what's pushing prices up significantly uh, over the time and stuff like that. Or yeah. the last couple of months, it's like we've seen double digit year over year appreciation uh, basically since July. Yeah. And that and what has done that? It's like because there, there's a huge demand for housing and no supply. Yeah. So that is where if you have somebody come in here just buying all this stuff cash because they they can, it uh, it makes it hard. Well, and then also another part of uh, Biden's plan was uh, a tax credit for first-time home buyers upwards of fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, fifteen thousand dollars, and um, and they want to try to alter, which I don't know what this is going to mean. But the restrictive zoning law. So Trump came out with the um, opportunity zones. Yeah. They've been proven to have worked in a lot of areas because the opportunity zones have helped revitalize areas that were 
very you know depressed down. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. And, it's putting capital incentivizing free capital to move into an economically depressed area to go for an adv- tax advantage right but what i see is the left has been pushing as saying you know yeah but you're gentrifying those areas you're kicking people out of their homes they're looking at it that way mm-hmm. right so when they're looking at it that way how is that going to affect those opportunity zones in a Biden presidency? Will Biden pull back those opportunity zones, you know, and and pull back that that kind of growth that we've seen in those areas into a point of where now, you know, that's no longer given any incentive and investors are because obviously that's how it works. You give incentives. That's where investors go. If you take the incentives away, investors leave. Right. It, it has to benefit them. It has to make money. So how do you think that would affect those kind of sections? Because, I mean, we see it here in San Antonio. You go a little bit east of Dignity. Those are opportunity zones, even downtown San Antonio. Right. Like some of the north parts of downtown San Antonio is opportunity zones yeah. for commercial development and to make it more vibrant downtown. So if you take that out, then does it is it going to stay distressed and not grow? Uh, well, it, this isn't, I mean, we worked single family residential Yeah. to where, yes, these houses encompass some single family residential areas, but a lot of it is, and I can't remember who was it that told me this, that it's like left, right, anything, every policy in the government comes down to one thing. It's creating jobs and economic prosperity. Now, yes, they disagree on things. We should get free health care. We should do all this stuff. But when it comes down to it, it comes down to jobs. They might give the perception that they're trying to do these things, but it really comes down to jobs. Right. A lot of these opportunity zones where it doesn't make sense to do things with single family houses, it's to revitalize dilapidated, rundown commercial buildings. And at that point, taking a building, taking it down to the studs or to the ground mm-hmm. and rebuilding a new one creates jobs. It creates higher um, wage People moving into those creates tired tax revenues. And then the housing is a byproduct of those areas that eventually come around to push that stuff out. So where I don't think it's going to be so much, oh, you're gentrifying the areas. That is a, it, that is something that's happened because of it. But they got a new economic bill, a new building that's generating higher wages, created jobs and higher tax revenues. Mm-hmm. So then that's just going to spill over to the housing aspect of it to where I think there will be some issues risen of it, but uh, are people saying, oh, you're doing these things to act, give the perception that, oh, we'll try to do something for you, but yeah. you're not going to create any jobs by eliminating the, the single family housing aspect of it because you have these massive commercial buildings and these developments being redone to where I think that I don't think it's going to mess with those opportunity zones uh, as much as they say. And it's one, it's like, like I've said, president can't do anything without Congress. So you got to have Congress in order to uh, get those laws overturned and redone. Yeah. And I mean, and again, to your point, I really hope so, because you made an excellent point of how it affects the job market. And that's the stuff that people don't put together, how nobody ties how everything comes together. You know what I mean? Nobody understands how if you change this, this is going to affect that and that and that and that. And next thing you know, it kicked you in the ass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's where a lot of things like people have come to us. They're like, how, how has COVID affected you guys? Or right now, it really hasn't. It hasn't so far. But the domino effect this is having on the economy, it will. You know, we just don't know when it's going to come around and hit us. Yeah. But at some point, it will affect us. You understand? It will affect every industry. It doesn't matter what industry. It's going to even affect Zoom 
Because if businesses are not working and they're not operating, nobody's having a Zoom meeting for anything, yeah. right? So it, at the end of the day, if things are not being done to make sure you incentivize jobs and job creation. Well, and then, I mean, Tommy puts a, a, a good point here where single family homes and their mortgages are the building block of this country. 100%. Mm-hmm. It's like it comes down to a safety issue. 100%. It also revo- relieves fire hazard issues from insurance providers as you take down this old stuff and redevelop them. Because we, how many houses do we walk into and it's a two pronged system for the electrical? Electrical causes huge fires. So that's one of the things like I think you're going to give that perception that we feel for you that you're gentrifying this area to try to appease some of these people. But I don't think they're going to do anything from it because there's way too many develop uh, benefits to having economic revitalization go into areas of the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I do hope to your point that um, they can't unilaterally pass and force things. I never liked what any president or any, you know, governing body does anything like that. Yeah. Because it's scary, right? I mean, it's scary when you unilaterally can force something on other people and nobody can defend themselves. So kind of touching on that point, uh, I what I consider to be good news is this article right here is Proposition 22, backed by Uber and Lyft, passed in California. So... Many of you are probably going to be saying, oh, it's California. Who gives a damn? Well, this kind of sets the way for a lot of other cities and states to follow, right? You know, it's the same reason why we were following so closely uh, Oregon. What was it? Portland, when they were doing a lot of the things with the landlords, because as they were doing all these things with landlords, we saw um, that guy here in San Antonio was trying to force the same laws. Yeah. Right. So as the California goes, as these major city goes, a lot of they run other. We look at it as like a pilot program. Exactly. It's like, all right, they passed it. Let's see how it works. And so far from what the news articles that I follow and the people we follow, like rent control doesn't work. from a landlord perspective so i don't know what it's like from the other side because i'm in the real estate space so but i want to know like they say they do rent control because they want to keep housing prices from rising too fast but apparently from what i hear coming out of the west coast like that is not what's happening at all well and we have right here um capital asset pricing model Capital yeah. Asset Pricing Model uh, comments that any idea on whether the CDC eviction moratorium will be extended under the new administration. Um, if if they proceed to shut down again and they proceed the, the route that they pretty much been saying they will do, and yeah, what I don't see why they wouldn't. Because what was it the CDC uh, now came out and said doing nationwide shutdowns is the absolute last resort that it actually causes more health issues no. than uh, letting people letting this kind of work its way through the system. Well, uh, well, they flip flop all the time, yeah. so we'll wait until another week and then they'll say, "No, we need more shutdown and all this." But uh, to your point is, I, I do see it. I do see them extending it. But keep in mind, like we said uh, last week's episode or the episode before that, is that people cannot just not pay their rent if they don't follow the process that the CDC puts out for the moratorium. So they, there's an actual process that the tenant needs to comply with. Yep. There needs to be proof that they've been affected by COVID 
and that they cannot pay or they cannot make any payments. They, I mean, there's a process and we've seen it where in Texas, Florida and major, many other major cities where evictions have been happening at yeah. a record rate because the tenants haven't been able to prove it. They just stopped paying. They and just, I'm not yeah, saying they, they haven't been paying, affected. They just but, stopped paying and it's like, oh, well, you can't kick me out. It's like, uh, you can't just quit paying because you don't want to pay. Right. Like, there is a process you have to go through in order to make this actual legitimate thing, which is, I mean, it's good yeah. uh, to be able to, like, I'm all for, like, if somebody's actually hurting, like, hey, work it out. Like, don't just kick them out of their house because, like, they've been hit by this effect of this thing that they had no control over. Uh I agree, but then you have the people that do just take advantage of it. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to pay because I can go get free government money and you can deal with it because you're the landlord and you, you're a bad person. You're but, a bad uh, person. You're a bad person because you have a but house. Go, yeah, so I mean, that, that moratorium is there. and then But going back to the Proposition 22 that I, I, I like that it passed was because of that, right? It says those presidents. And it would have said a really bad one because it literally kills, it starts going after gigs. Mm -hmm. Right. Gigs are you have your Amazon delivery uh, people that, you know, all these Amazon delivery, Grubhub, Uber, stuff that people are using to supplement their income yeah. are now going to be affected by this because now you become employee. Right. And if well, you become, become employees employee, and then the companies can't hire because now they got to pay their the taxes on. I mean, that's this is what it was by California's like they were yeah. trying to get tax revenue from it for Social Security, Medicaid, and all the other things. Because gig economies have to take that upon themselves to pay that tax. And it's harder to get to and prove than a corporation. And my thing is like, if you start becoming an employee as a company, right, as a business owner, what do I look like? What do I look at? If you're Uber and now all of a sudden you had to become my employee, then I'm gonna tell you, you need to get your ass there and drive. This is not up to you anymore. You're my employee. This is not that you drive whenever it's convenient for you. You drive when I tell you to drive because you are my employee. Yeah. Right? You're working for me. So now you actually got to generate me profit so I can pay for all this stuff for well, you. Well, they said costs are going to go up yeah. because on the platform, it's, it's like, hey, we have to take on that cost that we didn't have before. So now Ubers and Lyfts and all those things, they become more expensive uh, yeah. because they have to supplement. The, the, that's how I think it's funny when they say, oh, we, just, we raised the taxes because we thought the corporations were going to pay more of their share like yeah. no they're gonna pass it right on long down to the court the consumer whoever the product is the consumers until like some a new person comes in with a new model and takes that market share away it i think it's just hilarious when they think that's how it, it works it's like it never works that way well it's like i have more fees i'm gonna try to pass along as many of those fees as i can to the end the wherever i generate my revenue from well, it's the same thing that we talked about last week on lumber prices going up how that's gonna keep further pushing what new construction costs are. It's going to further push what new homes sell for. Yep. Because as builders, as investors, nobody, and, and I mean, I hope this makes sense to people, nobody is going to build a house to lose money. Nobody's going to invest in something to lose money. That's not how you run a business. That's not how you grow a business. You can't grow that way. You understand? Unless you're Tesla, we know. But unless you're Tesla, you can't grow at a negative. You know, you need profit. And you, that means that you need to pass those bills on. So it's the same thing in the UK that we talked about that they wanted to uh, experiment with negative interest rates. Yeah. It's like, all right, you're going to affect the banks. No, you're going to affect the, the people borrowing from the banks, the people working with the banks, because the banks are going to pass that on. Yeah. You know, the same thing with the FHA, uh, FHFA trying to force you know uh, fanny and freddie to go ahead and get out of conservatorship 
Well, now they've got to increase their fees. they got to increase all the refinances. they got to do all this. So it's like that's the thing that people don't see when they push this. They look at that, the first step. Who am I going after? I'm going after this person. Great. That is so honorable. I'm such a great human being. But who does that person affect? And who does that affect? Can we go seven levels deep here and actually just figure out, like, how does this process actually work if I go after this person? Because now I go after them, and how am I going to help these people out? You understand? So then you're affecting the whole economy with things like that. Yeah. So you got to really be careful, and, and politicians really need to watch out when they do these, you know, again, all-in-one laws that is going to affect all of us. I mean, you know, sad but true. Anything else you want to say about Biden and how he's affecting us before we move on to a fun conversation of things that we've seen this week? <laughs> uh, no, not really. But I mean, it's back to the same thing, I think, for a lot of people. It's like the president doesn't dictate where everything goes. One guy does not say what the direction of the economy goes. Like he is one person. He is a voice. But without Congress, you cannot get whatever you your wish list done to where if the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, there has to be some form of bipartisanship to get anything passed because now you have two conflicting sides, two different thought processes and two different bodies of governance that have to work together to get things passed. So even if it's Trump, even if it's Biden, there's still one side or the other. It looks like Congress is going to be still be split uh, for at least the next two years. So uh, people like they freak out about, oh, I'm going to get the, the Trump's the president. Uh, this is going to be terrible. It's like he's one person. He's not going to change the economy because like I woke up Wednesday and the world wasn't over. I woke up Thursday. The world wasn't over. I woke up today. The world wasn't over. One person is not going to make your world and life fall apart to where you need to turn the news off and get away from that stuff and separate that stuff. And you'll realize like your day-to-day -day life probably didn't change that much. You're not one guy in the White House is not going to make your day, night and day difference. Uh, you wake up one morning and your life is completely changed. That doesn't because happen that way. I, I think the issue that we have here is more of a, of a personal issue that people have. For I believe that in the last five to ten years, right, what, what has been one of the trendiest things is personal development. Yeah. Personal development books, uh, you know, the seminars, the gurus, personal development, this uh, life coaches that are 20 years old and all this stuff, you know, personal development, making yourself better. And it's like the more personal development that's been coming out, the less I feel people are aware, have any form of being self-aware, understanding their own thing, understanding their own emotions, their own feelings, how what drives them. And it's kind of like I, I was thinking about this yesterday. The election has reminded me of like, you're sick, you go to your doctor, you give them your symptoms, they give you a pill, you get better. Days, weeks, maybe months later, the symptoms come back, you repeat the process. You go to the doctor, they give you a pill, it gets better, right? Yeah. But you're never working on the cause, right? You're never, a lot of times just simple exercise and dieting can cure so many illnesses, right? Yeah. So what's happening is that people are looking at elections as going to a doctor and getting a pill, right? The pill is the president or the senator or whoever you're voting for. They're going to come in and they're going to treat the, the symptom. But you're still not fixing the cause. That's why it's getting to a point where it's like it doesn't, it, it damn near doesn't even matter who gets elected. It's the same shit happens everywhere. 
Yeah. You understand the same shit happens, the same laws get passed, the same garbage gets done because it's a different route. Yeah, like, because like, it's they just, went this way, the other boilers went that way, but the underlying cause is still the same. No, I, I look at it this way, where like one person wants to tax and spend, the other wants to borrow and spend, but it still comes down to like the, we national, the national GDP uh, or the national debt levels still continue to rise. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and and guess what? Like people were making it a point of saying, oh, but you know, under Trump, look how much higher uh, our national debt got. It's like. Yes, because it's going to keep growing. It yeah. doesn't matter who the hell is president. Yeah. It's going to keep growing. And guess what? Under Biden, it's still going to keep growing. Well, they say they're going to tax. And they're like, oh, we're going to tax. But yeah, but then they're gonna, they are gonna want to use those tax revenues to fund more government programs, not pay down national debt. Well, uh, yeah. And, and so, I mean, so you got all this. So my thing is like with all this personal development, all these things that people are doing, actually don't just read it just so you can post a blurb about it on Instagram. Like, actually implement the personal development part take responsibility for yourself and and try to make a change within you so you can change locally so it can change nationally you understand like you voting for a president uh, you know every four years or, or voicing your opinions on facebook very firmly every four years doesn't make any difference all it does is frustrate the hell out of you, frustrates the hell out of your friends, and it just creates more chaos and divisiveness and leads absolutely nowhere. So, you know, that's that's kind of my two cents on that. But one thing that we wanted to kind of touch on before we wrap up is we've been getting some deals from wholesalers. And Oh my god. And my goodness. We had a first yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was our oh first. Oh, my that, God. Been in this for five, six years. Yeah. So I got a deal from And we've seen hundreds of houses. I oh, mean, yeah. Some really trash, trash, nasty houses. This one with the house was trash. And it wasn't this happened to us because it was the house was gross so basically what happened is the first time like we've ever walked in a house and made it 10 foot into the house and turned and just walked right back out and it wasn't because the house was nasty it was but it was one of those that we got the picture i got the wholesale deal and what was it they wanted 80 grand for the house Mm -hmm. and he put 35 grand repairs i know never trust those go ahead and just double it uh looked at the arv and i was interested in what i saw in the photos and they said oh well it's got this extra unit in the garage that you could convert into an extra rental property and that's what (laughs) i was interested in for it and (laughs) We walked up to the house, and the front of the house, okay, not that bad. I see some wood rot, some extra stuff, not that big a deal. But my God, the second we walked into that house, it just like, no. I'm just, the, the smoke damage was the worst I'd ever seen. Yeah. from smoker damage i mean that stuff it was the point where like we've dealt with some smoker damage house we've sprayed the walls cleaned them up repainted them and we've been just fine this house i don't think that would work i mean it looked like a layer of paint was on the wall so much like nicotine a layer was on the of the sheet rocks was oh, peeling dude. off the wall and they're like paint was peeling off the walls because of the nicotine damage onto it like you yeah. have to gut this entire house and the extra little unit we were interested in dude the building just looked dilapidated oh, run down where it's like I could scrape it and rebuild it. That, like, that was essentially why we walked out because we walk in. I mean, we barely got past the kitchen. This is not an exaggeration. Seriously, we took maybe five steps in the house. I looked around. I looked at John. He's like, nope. I'm like, nope. Because it was at this point, a thousand square foot home. We're like, we got to tear it down to the studs. At that point, you might as well just tear the whole house down and yeah. build a brand new home. You know, and this guy wants... 80 grand with 30 grand in, repa- in repairs. That- well, even then, but that's where I said, like, uh, we've been running into this aspect a lot to where, 
we walk out because we know you don't have the contract that low. No. It's like usually like, okay, wholesaler, even if he's got some massive $20,000 wholesale spread on this thing, it's like, that's still 60 grand that you have it under contract for. Like, dude, I'm going to offer you land value. Yeah. Like we were going to, if we bought the house, we were just going to scrape the house and rebuild something there because it was in such poor condition. Yep. And I know they don't have it at that value. That happened earlier this week too, yeah. where we walked a house and it's like, Dude, your repairs are so far off. And what I have but to offer least, you is... At least they were off by like double the amount. Yeah, double, not triple. Well, yeah, this these guys, I mean, 35 grand, it's like, dude, I'm tearing this house down and rebuilding. Your $35,000 budget, it's like, yeah, I'll make that 150 because well, we got to rebuild then, this house. Like, we were looking at it. We're like, okay, let's let's play a game here. Let's say well, you have 35 grand on this house with the little unit in the back. What can you put 35 grand to at least get somebody in the house? Like, even if you were to paint the walls, I don't even know if paint would stick on those walls. Oh. You understand? Like, you would have to kill. You would have to do a lot of shit. Then the foundation was jacked. It had no AC. I mean, I'm sure it has a ton of plumbing and electrical issues. Yeah. I was like, there's just no way you can do it. And no way in hell you can do it for 30 grand. And I don't care what magical contractors you have. Like... It just a material alone, you're probably well, gonna adding an air conditioner on a thousand square foot house. You're, I mean, a whole new system. Yeah, you got to frame it out, build it. You're probably looking at spending six, seven thousand dollars, just eight thousand dollars, just in that alone. And then that didn't even. It was just. It was terrible. And then just like to be like, yeah. Well, uh, we so we a, just we turned around and walked and went. We walked right back out. Uh, we have traps here. He says uh, he or she. I don't know. Traps. Um, they. They all want too much. That he says, uh, having no luck with wholesaler, and it's like, I don't even think that they want too much. I don't think it's that. I don't think that the wholesalers are saying, you know, oh, I want thirty grand profit or anything like that. I just, my issue and and what we're trying to stress the point here is that you are not negotiating correctly. Yeah. You are not understanding what a deal looks like you don't know what a deal looks like you're you're guesstimating on repairs you're guesstimating on all these things and i don't even know where the hell you're pulling these guesses from because you're not off by like five or ten grand you are off by you know in the first house that we went to see you were off by like damn near a hundred grand it's terrible it's like they get it under contract just for whatever they want i just want to get a contract like yeah well i'll sell it to you at 70 all right we'll contract that and then then where they they know that they're actually getting a lot of people are getting better on the values the ARVs. The ARVs. Well, yeah, but not, then but then all they do is like, well, we're just going to lessen the repairs to where it looks like there's a good amount of spread there. It's like, dude, that doesn't work. And I think what it is is like for far too long, you've had the market bailing people out. Yeah. On the in-buy, on the sell to the retail market. So now you have a lot of people entering the market that is incentivizing these wholesalers to still get these deals done or to push them. So we're like, well, we'll just get it or whatever. And somebody's going to want it so bad. There's so many people that don't know what they're doing in real estate and buying these things that they can get them sold. And that it incentivizes this... uh, terrible negotiating tactics of just like get on a contract for whatever it is sell it to whoever sells the best and be done with it yeah well and one thing that i I always tell wholesalers and and trap says uh uh i wish i could go with you guys when you check out houses well if you live in san antonio um I'm more than happy to, to let anybody tag along when we check out houses. Uh, I have no issue. You just got to realize it might be like, hey, I'm heading to a house right now. I'm going to be yeah. there 30 minutes and I'm only going to be there for 10. Like it's yeah. not. We don't, we don't, yeah, we don't waste time. We don't schedule out weeks or anything like that to us. Is If a deal makes sense, 
we are there within the next five minutes. So, uh, you know, reach out to me, uh, shoot me an email at john at prime homes, J O N. If you put an H, you'll get the other John, but you'll get one of us. Um, we're, we're more than happy with, uh, whenever we go look at a property to bring you guys along, we did a walkthrough that our, our videographer, Dre walked with me and <laughs> I wish it would have been better, but the wholesaler brings me the deal. He says, uh, uh, just just a heads up, it's a hoarder house. I'm like, this is the understatement of the year when I walked into the house. I've been in hoarder houses. We've been in a house that we bought a house that was 1,200 square foot and we spent, we got like oh. four 40 yard dumpsters just to clear out their crap. And that doesn't include the two 10 by 10 storage units of their stuff that they actually took with them. Yeah. So, you can imagine a 1200 square foot house. That's a tiny home. There was a lot of crap in there. So I'm used to going through hoarder homes. This house didn't have a ceiling. Literally, this, the ceiling was on the floor. The insulation was on the floor. The, the, no, it wasn't on the floor. It was on top of all the stuff that was well, yeah, quote unquote the hoarder the house. Hoard, which if the ceiling would have still been up, it probably wasn't that bad of a hoarder house. Because uh, the actual know, that stuff that there kitchen, wasn't that, that bad. That kitchen was pretty bad. There was no. They usually hoarder houses have a well, walking pad. Well, it seems like path. somebody ransacked it, like went through and like started just trashing everything. Yeah, trashing oh, okay. things because it was just cabinets were torn open. But I'm walking through this house. Man, what did he say the repairs were? I want to say they were somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe. 70 grand 60 grand i don't think the wholesaler even walked the property that's another thing that pisses me off where it's like they, they're not even walking the property and you know they're sending it to me with repairs and all this at least tell me look hey here's the stuff that i've gotten i actually haven't walked the property i'm fine with that let me know you understand yeah. because in that way i know it's like well, right. like chris and, and vest puts in here it's almost better if they don't even provide a rehab estimate oh I, know, yeah I, I, the, I yeah i don't i agree but it's yeah. also like if you're going to do that provide good pictures don't give me here's six pictures of the house and, and they're always the best ones yeah and then it's like they're just trying to incentivize well why it's got to get people to the house like yeah dude they just piss me off when you do that because now i just wasted my time to go over and look like yesterday just walked in trying to walk right back out 30 minutes 45 minutes of our day just gone like that yep. and it just like it builds no reputation as you as a name and you no. as a business to where like i'm gonna uh, remember it does that build stuff. a reputation a reputation yeah, that next time one. you send me a deal I'm gonna probably second guess and shoot you a low ball offer before I even leave my office. Yeah. Because where I do like, Chris, to your point, uh, an actual repair estimate or a repair bid from them is I like to know if they send me the repair bid and they send me enough pictures that I can kind of gauge, I can see if you're already way off on the repair and then I can see if it's like, well, you want 80 and I know just based on these pictures, I'm in the 50 neighborhood. So if there's no dialogue there in 50, then I'm not even bothering going out. Yeah, right? just like when I first called that guy the other day, it's like, hey, I want to go see that. The day he sent it out on the email out blasting it, uh, I put it out. I was like, all right, numbers look good. I call him and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm interested. Like, when can we go see the house? He goes, well, I had a key to the front door, but then a deadbolt got locked. So I'm waiting to get a key to the back door. So I'm going to, I got to get that figured out uh before i can get people in the house like okay he's like but i, I just want to let you know that I, I i've generated a lot of interest at that eighty thousand dollar price point so um i i don't want uh you to waste your time without seeing the house and stuff if, if the 80 is not going to work i was like you just told me you didn't have access to the house but you're saying that you got plenty of interest at the 80 grand after walking the house i feel bad for whoever if somebody buys that thing for 80 grand it's like 
I don't well, know what you're going to do with it. It's like we talk about. It's their antiquated sales tactics or what they think is a sale tactic to make it seem more interesting. Like the other wholesaler that he tells us, and this we've heard it so much that every time somebody tells us this, we kind of like, all right, yeah, okay. you're not. You and but the other 25 wholesalers. Like, he tells us, you know, I, it's just that I'm, I'm flooded with deals. I have too much going on right now. And but if I need to, I will take it down. You know, I'll take it down and I'll buy it myself, and and I'll just. Do if I can't stuff. get the price that I'm trying yeah. to get right now, that this seventy five grand, like uh, I'll just take it down and do it myself. And if usually, I, what that means is that you are trying to make me feel like, you know, oh shit, this is a really good deal because if not, why would he buy it, right? Yeah. So if I'm an inexperienced investor, because if you're looking at it that way, you are an inexperienced investor. You understand? Because to me, you know, I have too many deals. Okay. Well, then it it's one of those things like, like it's just, if who, you, like, who turns down deals get, when they have once to you get experience and you go to enough houses and see these things, it's like if you were an experienced investor, you would not be that far off on the rehab. Yeah. And you would be actually, and if it was a true thing that like, hey, I don't have enough, and you do want to sell the thing, you're going to sell it toward you know there's margin on the, you know the game, yeah. and and you are trying to going to try to wholesale it and actually be truthful with it, not but like it was like word for word the way he went into it. I'm like. I have heard this like 50 times from like 15 different, like 20, 30 different wholesalers. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'd take it down myself, but I'm just too busy to where if I don't get the price that I'm asking today, uh, I'll just take it down and do it myself. I mean, like verbatim word for word, it's exactly what they all say. And it's just like, no, no, you're not. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling me. I'd rather you even say, you know, because this is something I've said, but we haven't wholesaled in quite some time because we do pick up our properties, but. I have said where it's like, look, honestly, the numbers are tight for me. They're not something that, you know, I don't have the contractors low enough yeah. to make this make sense. Yeah. I don't have the money cheap enough to make this make sense for me. The margins, margins are too tight. I'm willing to just pass this off to somebody that can get this stuff. Well, and that's also like, you that's know? how we would handle it. Not to yeah. say that it was, he wasn't being truthful, but it just nine out of 10 times and direct experience, like, that is not the case. So now you've, if everybody else is saying that, you need to quit saying that because now I'm lumping you in with all the other people that are just trashy wholesalers don't know what so they're doing. This is not just to trash wholesalers, right? There, there's an actual solution to all of this. This solution is when you don't know how to determine repairs, when you don't know how to understand if it's a deal, reach out to a potential buyer that you know is a real buyer, not another wholesaler, an actual buyer. Wholesalers do not understand repairs, all right? And, and this is not a knock on wholesalers, just that you haven't renovated a house. You don't understand what it means when you have to open up a wall or when you have to move something or when you have foundation issues where the kitchen is. You haven't been through it, right? So it's not a knock on you guys, it's just to let you know. Get an investor that you know would buy that house and tell them, hey, I'm gonna check out this house in this neighborhood. I know you're interested. Would you mind walking it with me and letting me know what you think, right? Because then they can walk with you. That's how I learned. Honestly, I grew up in construction, but as a contractor, I know how to do the job, not what job needs to be done. So I would go in and bid out, you know, I need to replace the trim. I need to replace all the stuff. And when I started walking with investors, they're like, no, not this neighborhood, you paint the trim. No, you keep the cabinets. No, you leave the floor. You understand stuff that I didn't know as a contractor. So not walking it with your contractor. You need to walk it with an investor, an investor that will buy the property. So then that way that investor can tell you, okay, based on this house, you have these issues, these issues, these issues. This is what I'm looking at. Ask questions. 
not just ask how much is the repair no why what are you repairing because there's a lot of times this also happens that there, you have investors that are going to repair things that other investors wouldn't repair and you have vice versa right the ones that wouldn't repair things that we probably would repair so you got to make sure you ask them what are you touching why are you touching that? how much is that costing you what are you projecting because then that becomes and it makes you a much better wholesaler and that's what helped us that's how we grew our business that's how we were able to scale to this point and become great wholesalers because we kept asking our buyers you know whenever they say no i'm not buying it well why why are you not buying it? Well, here's the repairs. Here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I'm like, oh shit, you know what? You're right. I didn't look at those things. Now I adjusted my bid the next house I went to. And they got to a point where I was able to nail down repair budgets very, very tightly to a point where, you know, where would it be different? Is it depends on who your contractors were and if you were, you know, maybe getting a GC versus subbing it out. But those were little things not things like to this point where one house they were off on the repair budget by like damn near 80 to a hundred thousand dollars and the other one they were just the house needed to be scrapped because of what the values were so it's like you weren't off by five or ten grand you were off by the price of a whole other house like yeah. i mean you were off by a ton of money now you can't go back to that homeowner and say, you know, hey, it's easier to negotiate, renegotiate five or ten grand. It's very hard to renegotiate a hundred thousand dollars. You understand? Especially when the house is worth. Or you need to give it to me for free. Yeah, yeah. or you need to pay me. I, I mean, we one yesterday. It's like, yeah. dude, this thing is destroyed. Like, I want land value. Yeah. So that that is really, you know, our our advice to you guys, and I I hope that makes sense. Um, I hope that's something that can resonate. And if you're not sure as a wholesaler and you're going to these houses and you're saying, you know, hey, I, I don't understand how to price this out. I don't understand. Is this really a deal? Ask a local investor that you know is a buyer to go with you. I, Us as buyers, we are more than happy to go with you at that point because you haven't gotten on the contract. We can help. We can make sure that you get it at the right price. And I want you to make money because I want you to keep bringing me more deals. You understand? Because I can't do that work. So I'd rather train you and show you everything so you can just start bringing contracts at the prices that make sense. But these prices are just astronomical. These people are off by tens of thousands of dollars on the repairs of these properties. You're killing it. You're, you're hurting sellers. And if you happen to scam a buyer into it, that's exactly what you're doing. You're scamming somebody into it. So you could have said before, I didn't know any better, and that's a perfect excuse, but you do know now. Well, if just, you're listening to this, you like, know it's better. It's just rampant across the industry now at this point. Like, yeah. Everybody's doing the, all the exact same thing because, like, I mean, the wholesalers, like, they're not finding deals and they're just they're finding whatever contract they have and just trying to scrape by. And, I mean, I guess that's part of the capitalistic market to where eventually they are going to go out of business and not and they're gonna have to go do something else yeah because it's like it just doesn't work they can't make the money at it and because the it's just not there yeah so so i hope that the, uh, this episode has been valuable to you guys if it has you know hit that like button subscribe share it with your friends let people know because I, as you guys can see what we do here is we try to help you make sense of the noise and the mess that's going around. We try to share stuff that we're learning. That's what we do on our channel. We share our strategies, stuff that we've learned, how we're adjusting to the market, how we're flipping houses in this market or picking up rentals. We share all these things with you, right? Because we want you to be an educated investor. And the reason we give all this stuff away for free is because we know the majority of people don't take action. 
we understand that. I've been giving away stuff for free for the last like two or three years. Literally everything that we do step by step, we don't hold anything back. We share everything and people still don't take action. So that's why we share it because we want some of you, the very few that do take action and do it the right way because that's what we need. We need good investors. We need real real estate investors in this market that can start giving us a good name again. So make real estate investing great again. Um, <laughs> there you go. Had to do it. So uh, with that being said, um, I think it was good. I had a good yeah. uh, good talk. Sorry for the again. Sorry for all the technical we'll difficulties. Make sure it's worked out next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know. I mean, I don't know what the hell happened. I, honestly, I don't. I don't know. Well, hopefully it doesn't Between happen all again these next cameras, week. microphones, Google, something the, went the, off. The internet, something yes. didn't click. Yeah. So, um, well, but I appreciate you guys joining and supporting us and helping us Agreed. out. And that's it for us for this week. Have an amazing weekend, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Bye bye.